0: Welcome to The Cause and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. My guest today is Karen Veldhaus. She's the Executive Director of Learning Disabilities Association of Manitoba, also known as LDAM. And Karen is also a 2020 Fast Pitch alum. She's a leading voice and advocate for children and adults with learning disabilities in our province.
1: One of the things that I think we haven't talked a lot about as a society is that Learning disabilities undiagnosed lead to mental health issues. And we haven't made that correlation very, very well yet. And I, you know, I've been doing lots of talking about making that correlation is that when you've got kids in classrooms who have been told that you're stupid um, and that you can't learn, you start to believe that and you become that person and and, your mental health is affected in many ways.
0: I sat down with Karen Velthaus to talk about how learning remotely due to COVID has affected students, the stigma that continues to surround this area of work, and how mental health can be adversely affected if learning disabilities aren't diagnosed and managed. Welcome to Because and Effect, the podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation. My name is Nolan Bicknell and I'm now joined via Zoom as we're always joined uh, by Karen Velthaus. She's the Executive Director of Learning Disabilities Association of Manitoba. Karen, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we were supposed to have this conversation before the whole pandemic started. We had you booked, you know, months ago and then it's, it's thank you very much for taking the time for, for getting back to us. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of interesting that so much time has gone, which, you know, is either good or bad, depending on who you're talking to. But maybe tell me a little bit about how the last, I guess, eight months have treated you, how your day-to-day has changed and how this whole pandemic is affecting uh, LDAM.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting, right, Nolan? The last time we saw each other would have been at the finals for, um, for Fast Pitch, and that was at the end of February, and we just kind of, or January, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, and we just kind of got it in before COVID hit. And then, yeah, we, we closed our doors in March, as as everyone else did. And um, we worked from home, and that was a bit of a challenge. Um, it's, you know, every day getting up, and as everyone's experiencing, coming um, to your work office, which is your desk at home, uh, is a challenge. I was really excited because we got to go back to the office in August, uh, and then no sooner had we kind of got back into our groove and I felt like we were kind of on a, an upward climb uh, and then we had to shut down again. So the challenges that we face are, are, are I think a little bit different in that we actually support kids who are learning. and kids who are learning with learning disabilities and ADhD don't do well on digital platforms. It's just something that is, we know um, doesn't work for them. So you know we're trying to do our best to support them and 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 to move through that. But it's tough for them, you know, if they're learning at home, um, their regular school day, and then we're still providing that digital space for them. It's, it's tough for them. And um, we're trying to do our best. But
0: yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, You know, I have friends and family who have learning disabilities. And I have friends and family who don't and who are still ha- struggling with this whole digital world when it comes to learning and stuff. And so so what can you give me some specific examples of how you're trying to overcome these barriers when there are already so many barriers in place? Like what what are some some things that people are doing to adapt to this new world when it's uh, like it, it's already difficult enough? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so we're, we're keeping um, tutors uh, on hand for our kids. So we do a links program. Uh, That is one-on-one instruction for um, early intervention for literacy. Uh, And we're trying to keep that as, you know, as similar as possible as we would in the classroom. So creating that safe space for kids to to do um, reading out loud and and to work one-on-one with tutors. So, you know, really trying to continue offering the same type of programs that we do, um, but building in that um, safety, uh, you know, on online so that they're not reading in groups, and which is the things that they struggle with in school, right? When you're being asked to read out loud, and you, you reading, is just not something you're able to do, you know, that whole anxiety just sets in and, and shuts them down. So this way, we're still creating that safe space, but it'd be like you and I talking together right
0: now. For sure. And it's so much better in person just to be able to read cues and, you know, like be able to understand, okay, the nuance of frustration is way different when you're in person versus when you're over Zoom. So like how how are the instructors, instructors being sort of taught how to recognize situations like that, or is there even protocols in place right now for that? And yeah, you know, wh- wh- how are the, how are the instructors dealing with it? Or, and how have you helped to educate them on what they need to look for?
1: Well, and we were just at that point where we had brought in all of our tutors and had gone through a, an incredible training session with them, right? Like one-on-one with them and in a group, um, so that they could learn the process face to face. And then no sooner had we sort of started moving down that path of having them be in our facility with us that we had to go to online. So um, we we're supporting them the best that we can. And we're just hopeful that, you know, through the, the training that we were able to give them um, that, you know, most of them are, are of an age that um, technology wouldn't scare them. Um, but at the same time, you're right, it's those nuances and, and uh, you know, when kids start shutting down, what does that look like and um, how do we keep them online and how do we keep them engaged when, you know, you're used to playing a game with them and it's, you know, you're physically being able to move a card back and forth. That's very different than picking up a card and showing a camera, right? So it, it really changes and, uh, you know, our, our instructors will be feeling those changes as well.
0: So how do you think things are going to change moving forward for, I mean, everyone has to be adaptive, right? Like everyone's going to have to adapt to this new normal as you know, the cliche goes, but how are you seeing um, your work adapting or having to adapt moving forward? Like what, what are you seeing coming down the pipe or what are you hoping happens or, you know, w- what does the future look like for you?
1: I actually think that we've had some wins with COVID. Uh, I think it's given us the opportunity to think outside the box about the way we provide programming. So again, using Zoom or or Teams or however we do that, but expanding our services outside of Winnipeg. Because we know there's many, many kids outside of the perimeter who are dealing with learning disabilities and ADHD and struggling in school. So having that ability to take those programs and deliver them in an online platform will be just a, a real gift that we can give uh, the communities.
0: People have to be optimistic when it comes, you know, try to see the the light when there's so much kind of unknown craziness going on, for sure, right? How has your work evolved in since this has all gone down, and like, what's changed? Like, how is your day to day changing for you and your team? Like, what what's different now?
1: I think for me, in particular. Um, when we have, because we run the Aerosmith program right at our facility, so we're used to having kids with us every day, all day. So in addition to being the executive director of an organization, I'm also kind of a principal of a school, if you will. So having that ability to be able to interact with the kids and, and laugh with them and, uh, you know, just do some fun stuff and support them in their everyday learning I miss terribly and uh, I know that our teacher um, misses seeing them in person because she's online with them right now as well Um, so it just changes you know your uh, you kind of feel isolated a lot like I I sent an email to my team this morning and just said you know I miss everyone so much because while I know I'm working I'm still doing the same things that I would do um, you're not connecting with people and collaboration doesn't happen in the same way when you're not in the room together. Um, you know, sending an email or even doing you know a zoom meeting is very different um, than doing it in person. So that's changed a lot. I'm, I'm very much a person who likes to um, to collaborate and be with people. And I mm-hmm. think that's changed a lot. And, and I think our team would say the same thing. 100%. We're all feeling, um, yeah.
0: That's a very common thread for pretty much everyone I've talked to this season on the pod or since, you know, the pandemic started for the podcast is that like everyone's feeling disconnected. Is there um, an understanding of the kids and how their mental health is being affected by, you know, the disconnect and, and the lack of social interaction? And obviously it's important for everyone, but can you speak to how it's just as, if not more important for kids, you know, going through... Pandemic, who also have learning disabilities or ADHD or things like, that, you know, like talk talk about the the socializing and how important that is for the kids and how we can try to navigate getting them the supports that they need in that way as well. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: one of the things that we know is that kids with learning disabilities actually have a hard time in social settings. Um, so when they're together, you know, with a group of of children that are you know like them, if you will. Um, they feel supported and they don't feel like they're an outsider. So them, uh, as you mentioned, you know, not being able to communicate and and to get together um, is really tough. So through our programming, what we're trying to do is build in some, some time where they can just spend with each other on the camera and just talk about whatever they want to, right? So it's not structured, but just having them be able to support each other. Um, We had one student who I found out um, is spending some time with her family right now at the lake and um, her dog actually fell through the ice uh, at the lake and she was online and um, bless her. She just kept soldiering on and doing what she needed to do for her program. But the next morning she really needed to talk about that because it was affecting her. So our teacher just allowed her to have that time because she needed that, right? She needed to talk through that and, talk about her feelings. So it's just really being um, uh, able to pivot, right? And pivot is our new word that we're going to be putting in the Webster's dictionary, but uh, in a different context. But um, it's, I think that's the most important piece is just being able to pivot and to be there when they need you. Because um, we all all have our own things that are going on. But, um, you know, kids are pretty good about letting you know when they need you. And to be able to just, stop and be present and be in the moment with them is so important
0: very wonderfully said yeah um we mentioned it briefly at the start but we met through the fast pitch program um and for people who don't know fast pitch is kind of like dragon's den for nonprofits, where you were put up on stage for three minutes to give a uh, speech a pitch to a a room full of hundreds of people um let's maybe just back the clock up back to those days like tell me about your experience how have you used fast pitch moving forward have you sort of you know used the storytelling tips that kate and, and dave and stuff have taught you guys Or like how has how, how how did that experience affect you and your work moving forward i'm curious
1: i absolutely loved the experience i was very honored to be part of it um i think the thing that I really took away from it was how humbling it is as well, because you're up there, a microphone, nothing else, and you're just telling your story. And the tips that Kate um, made us go through in order to kind of distill a story down, it's amazing what you can get out in three minutes. Um, you, you, you're not, you, you don't think you can, but you absolutely can. Um, so that was a, a really neat experience. My coaches were absolutely amazing and so supportive. Um, we still stay in touch to this day, actually, which is really cool. Um, so that's something that I took um, from that. It's just, you know, some friendships. Um, I do use the story um, quite often. I, I through October was on um, a lot of um, CTV and different um, radio and, and TV interviews, um, because it was Learning Disabilities Awareness Month, so certainly, you know, try and pull some of those threads through. Um, It was just, it was a great experience, and, you know, I'll just share one little piece from it, and you were in the room when it happened. Um, I guess it was supposed to be the the semifinals when we were supposed to send, uh, you know, a few of us home, but we were very lucky that that didn't happen this time. But I had been through the process for several weeks and I got up on stage and I froze that time. I think I was the first one to to do my pitch that day. And I literally froze and I could not remember um, anywhere in in the pitch where I was. And, um, you know, I walked off stage and and I, of course, was really upset with myself. But I was given the opportunity to go back up on stage uh, at the end just so I could get through it. And I did. I got through it. And I think the thing that made me do that was I thought about our kids in our classes every day who are struggling with learning disabilities and just can't do it and get discouraged and need to walk away from things. And I had to show them that I could do it, that I had the courage to be able to get back up there and to do it. So um, that's probably the, you know, the, the biggest kernel that I took away from that experience was just not um, just I guess the fortitude to go back up and to, to try again. And yeah, I fell off my bike and I got on and rode it again. So,
0: Yeah. The, the uh, fortitude of someone isn't determined by how many times they get knocked down. It's determined by how many times they get back up. And that was like, we've, d- we've done five years of fast pitch or four or five years. And that was one of the most memorable moments for me. I mean, I was hosting uh, like, I, first of all, didn't know what to say when it was happening the first, like I was so just, emotionally devastated watching that happen. And then you got back up there and I had tears in my eyes because you were so courageous and and that was just like one of the highlights of the year for me. So well done. That was so cool. Uh, Thank you so much. So, so much of your job, I'm guessing has been and continues to be education and just sort of helping people understand situations that they may not have been exposed to. Um, But can you talk a little bit about how the public uh knowledge base has grown over the last maybe couple decades when it comes to learning disabilities like people used to you know when i was in school there was a very limited understanding of learning disabilities but now i think people understand okay here's what we got to do here's you know how you have to adjust your your teaching methods or whatever how have things evolved over the years that you've seen and and what what evolution do you hope um continues to happen like what are people still not quite getting but how has it changed so far that's a big question but so okay.
1: it is it is and and we've come so far and yet we haven't which is a really interesting statement but how we've come far is is inclusion right we we don't separate those children who are learning differently um, in classrooms now away from kids who are learning sort of the mainstream learners Uh, they're in those classrooms I think the thing that's happened is it's put a lot of challenge on teachers um, because we've got so many different learning types and styles and kids with different challenges that it's you know they're trying to be all things to all people and that's that's so hard to do I think some of the things that still exist um, out there and it really makes me sad uh, is that you know, with respect to ADHD, people think that poor parenting causes kids to have ADHD or have, um, you know, the behaviors that come with ADHD, right? Some of those hyperactivity pieces. Um, other things, you know, people think people with ADHD are lazy, perhaps, because they, they're they not focused and not doing their work, right? Well, you just didn't do your work. um And with respect to learning disabilities, I think people, there's a lot of people who still think learning disabilities are affiliated and associated with uh, having a low IQ. So that's another challenge and another stigma that that we're trying to remove. One of the things that I think we haven't talked a lot about as a society is that learning disabilities undiagnosed lead to mental health issues. And we haven't made that correlation very very well yet and I you know I've been doing lots of talking about making that correlation is that when you've got kids in classrooms who have been told you know and I hate using this word but I used it in my pitch because my kids tell me all the time that you're stupid um, and that you can't learn you start to believe that and you become that person and and, you know, your mental health is affected in many ways Um, so you know I think that's where we have some ways to go is ensuring that every child out there that is struggling with learning gets a diagnosis. The sooner we have a diagnosis, um, the better off we are to move forward to provide the supports that they need. Because if they don't get diagnosed, it can come, um, you know, at the other end when when people are adults and they're trying to get jobs, um, you know, that still comes to play. It's, Learning disabilities don't magically go away when you leave school. Um, They're a lifetime, and uh, they're invisible. So people just don't see them. And we need to have more supports for those people, uh, or, you know, those those individuals at the front end of our um, time with kids when we're seeing them in school. So I always tell parents, if you suspect there's a learning disability, treat it like there is a learning disability until you get that diagnosis because it can take a long time to get a diagnosis um so
0: well so many things are so similar but yet different and then you, you know this could be this but it, it's actually that and like there's a whole but so what, what what are some tips for parents that you could give out that it's like okay I, i'm starting to see something but i'm not sure like i would be scared that there would be le- elements of denial like oh he's fine it'll grow out of it you know like what what are some actual signs where people should not just ignore it or or not you know you know actually look into this and and what are some some of the actual like things that people can look for
1: so a lot of the time when kids start school you know grade one grade two the concepts aren't that hard to to grasp right so kids are really good at finding their own compensations Um, they memorize things Mm. um they can avoid, right? You keep your head down and you don't look at the teacher, she won't call on you. Um, But when concepts start getting a little bit harder, so grade three, grade four, grade five, is when parents might start to notice that there's a, um, you know, a divide kind of happening between uh, their child and and peers, for instance. So uh, it could be very much that kids don't want to read out loud, you know, the parents say, you know, where's your homework? Oh, I don't know, I forgot it at school. Um, do you have any reading tonight? Mm, No, I did it already. You know, those kinds of avoidance pieces, um, you know, handwriting might be a telltale sign to you. It might be really messy. They might be having a a hard time with it. Um, math concepts, um, you know, of course some, some of them start getting in grade five a little bit more difficult. So if kids aren't able to, to remember their times tables or any of those pieces, those could be some signs. We have some really good on our website, um, just sort of different signs at, um, during different periods of kids' lives, right? So what it could look like. Um, and I suggest to parents, if there's anything that you ever see in a report card, right? You or your, your parent, they're your child's best advocate. Make sure that you're talking with teachers. Don't let it go on too long. Um, you know, I've had so many calls from parents who said, I didn't know, you know, my child's now two years behind. And I didn't know. And that... It is so disheartening for families, right? They just want to make sure that their kids are, are getting what they need. So keep in contact with, with schools. Um, if you suspect your kid needs um, some extra additional support, um, be that advocate and, and start talking to the school and the teacher and resource right from the beginning and don't give up. It's, it sometimes can be a long process and um, you know, I think it's a discouraging one for many, many families out there.
0: Well, a lifetime process, right? Like you were saying before, it's not going to go away. So you got to find ways to to cope and ways to work around it and ways to work with it for sure. Uh, Just for people who are listening, LDA Manitoba is the Learning Disabilities um, Association of Manitoba website, ldamanitoba.org. And it's, I was, yeah, perusing it the last couple of days and it's very a good resource. There's lots of good stuff there for sure. Um, What advice would you give to parents who, are, you know, navigating these new waters and they're, you know, it's it's tough to, to see your kids struggle in any position, but like, we don't really know as a society how, how mental health is really affecting everyone either. So like, how are you helping parents to understand navigating both the waters of dealing with the learning disability and then also potentially educating them on what to look for when it comes to mental health barriers that would also come up? Like wh- what are you learning and how can you kind of help parents prepare themselves to navigate that stuff as well?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think one of the challenges that I'm finding for parents is that they're struggling themselves, right? Is that they for many months have been their, their child's teacher and they're getting frustrated because they're seeing their child is, is struggling Um, so I think the biggest piece of advice that I can give them is if you are feeling frustrated in that moment, um, take a step back and, uh, and just let, you know, those feelings kind of, um, pass before you, you know, start to try and help your child learn a concept. If they're struggling learning a concept, it's not, you know, trying it 25 times the same way isn't going to make a. A difference, right? That's just not going to stick for them. Um, so getting frustrated and and getting angry and um, you know, isn't helpful. I certainly understand why that happens. Again, you know, it's it's tough to be with your kids all the time. Um, so uh, you know, I think self care for parents is very important right now. We've got parents who are trying to be, um, you know, employees, good employees, uh, good parents and um, just trying to take care of themselves as well and I think that we tend to forget to take care of ourselves um when we're taking care of the rest of the world right so it's important to take care of yourself um and and let your kids have some downtime too right it's it's okay to um if you're not doing everything that the teacher has planned or if you know they're uh, struggling with concepts it's, it's okay you know it's um it's not going to change the world if, um, if you're not looking at science or social studies for a day or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and for kids who are used to being um, with friends and doing all of those pieces, um, just, just having that opportunity to, to connect you know, with, with the community in, in some way. So there's lots of different online platforms right now that are offering some, some really cool kinds of um, one-off um, kind of workshops or courses. There's, um, it's a U.S. resource, but I just found out about it. It's called Out School, um, so O-U-T School. And there's some really neat just, you know, the kids are cooking, like they're doing chocolate bombs and just kind of fun stuff. And there's there's also kids on Zoom with them too. So um, I don't usually like to, to share U.S. resources, but I, I haven't um, found a resource in Canada yet that, uh, that would compare, so... Um so you know, just giving them some different opportunities to, to kind of do some fun things. And cool. But again, you know, take care of yourself first. It's important.
0: Great advice. Absolutely. And it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? You don't have to solve all the problems in one day, right? If you don't get to it today, you can get to it tomorrow. And and that's yeah. kind of people tend to forget that a little bit. Just a little bit of a little bit of context, you know. Um this work is obviously very rewarding, and I remember you telling some, some great stories about some kids on the fast pitch stage, but it's also probably pretty emotionally draining as well. So, like, why? what, what made you choose this line of work to, to devote your, you know, your career to?
1: I think it found me. <laughs> um, I lost my dad when I was 13 uh, to cancer. And I was an only child and uh, I think one of the things I remember feeling at that point is there was nothing there to support me so when I was 13 you know we didn't have school resources and um, you know all of those psychologists for kids I also grew up in Dauphin so probably didn't have a lot there either but um, I just remember feeling lonely and uh, and isolated uh, in my feelings and needing to talk about them. So I think I've just naturally gravitated toward um, wanting to take care of of, um, ensuring that kids have a voice and that they feel supported and encouraged and and know that they're they're part of a community and they are important to our community and they have a lot of great things to offer. So, um, you know, I was a school trustee for many years and that was very fulfilling and rewarding. But again, it's, you know, it's, it's gravitating towards kids. Um, It's where my heart my passion are
0: that's beautiful absolutely I love it Um, so at the end of our time together we ask the same seven questions of all of our guests basically talking about the causes that you care about and the causes you used to care about and still do you okay to go through those seven
1: sure okay
0: we call it just because question one uh, what is the very first cause you actually even remember caring about
1: I think probably it was it was cancer, obviously, Mm. like cancer care and and cancer because of my dad and, um, and wanting to ensure that that whatever reason I lost him that other people never had to feel that. Um, Unfortunately, that was Oh, my goodness, now I'm going to give you my age, but that was my dad passed away in 1978. So that is a, you know, a long time of still having the same cause. Um, And I'm just so grateful that there's so many people still trying to find cures for it. But yeah, that's probably the first one.
0: Talk about a marathon. Thought about. Yeah. Talk about a marathon, not a sprint. Hey, like that's just, it's going to be, it seems like it's an eternal battle that we're always going to be fighting against different types of cancers and all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Craziness. Uh, question two, if money, politics and logistics were no issue to you for all, were no issue at all, what's the first thing you would do in support of your current cause?
1: So my current cause is obviously Learning Disabilities Association. Um, my dream, and this will happen, my dream is to open up a school that specifically focuses on supporting individuals with neurodiversity differences um, so it would be, a uh, you know, a safe place for them to come um, and for us to have an opportunity to rethink and, and kind of transform inclusive practices and what that looks like. And so, yeah, it would be a school.
0: Does something exist like that currently? Like that, that, that specifically focus? Nothing like that? Hey? Not, not in the world or just not in Winnipeg?
1: Oh, not in Manitoba.
0: Okay. Yeah. So. Awesome. I love it. Uh, Question three, we kind of talked about stigma already, but what would you say is the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about learning disabilities right now?
1: I think that people with that have learning disabilities, aren't able to learn that there's just a stigma that if you have an LD that you're just, you're just not going to ever get it. And that absolutely is not the case. It's just, you have to find that way that you learn with that learning disability. So it's you know it's a processing disorder right so people have a um, longer processing time to retrieve information or to you know, to give it back so Yes. Yeah. People and,
0: can learn Well, and everyone learns differently, right? Like that's why certain meetings are way better, and you know, when, when there's visuals involved or when there's, you know, a lecture involved or when there's question period back and forth, like everyone learns differently. And it's, uh, uh, once you come to that conclusion, then you can realize like, okay, yeah, this it might take a little bit longer or you might have to do, you know, a different concept, a different concept for the kid. But like, yeah, once you have that basic understanding that literally everyone learns at a different pace, understanding style, all of those things, I think think we can we can understand that okay now we just got to find the way find the way to make it that's right click yeah for sure uh, question four what's exactly. what, what's a time in your life where you had to pivot because a plan just wasn't working out for you
1: well I about three years ago I moved out to BC I was recruited to go out and um, be the CEO of an organization out there and uh, I thought oh this is going to be great it's Vancouver Island I can go and you know start living in a place where I might retire um, I lasted for a year. That was my big pivot. I had to um, turn back and come home, and uh, uh, I missed Manitoba so much, and um, just our community here um, made me homesick every day. Um so i had I pivoted and I came home, which was huge because you know you feel like you're giving up and you're you know people will look at you like you're a loser, and you know, but i uh, I had to do it. so. I'm happy to be back in Manitoba. I, I, love, mean, I love my home.
0: I'm from Russell. You said you're from Dauphin. It's that kind of that small town mentality, right? Of every, you know, it takes a village and I, I've i lived in other places as well and you can't really match the community. It's just like baked in somehow or, you know, like I don't know what it is, but everyone just knows everyone and everyone's rooting for everyone. There's no like this weird competition between people. It's It's quite nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I don't think unless you've lived away from Manitoba that you get it.
0: Yeah, very well said. Uh, question five, what's the best advice that you've ever been given?
1: So uh, it's about how to deliver a message. So it's really, it's not the message itself. It's the way you deliver message. So always be careful in the way you deliver messages, whether they're good messages or bad messages. But You,
0: know. you mean careful in like clarity wise or...
1: I think more just, you know, be be genuine and, um, you know, be sympathetic, empathetic, you know, just, just be a human when you deliver things, right? Like it's um, it just be kind and know that if you were getting that kind of information, how would you like to receive it?
0: Yeah, it's kind of kind of that old adage of uh, it's not what you said, it's how you said it, you know, and you have to be conscious of tone and, 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 and. Yeah, empathy and all those things, for sure. Uh, question six is also about advice. What advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to her right now?
1: So I'd say to her, life's going to throw you some real curveballs. And it's going to be a really hard. Um, but you have everything you need to persevere and get through it. So don't get discouraged.
0: Mm, that's so important, yeah. And that that's really what kids need to just know, hey, you've got whatever you've got support. We support you. Whatever you need, just. Do your thing, you know. I think every kid could benefit from hearing something like that. So that's very nice. Uh, question seven, last question. Uh, thank you very much, Karen, for doing this. It was awesome to finally get to talk to you in this setting and and uh, learn a little bit more about uh, learning disabilities in Manitoba. Um, but what do you want to be remembered for? is the last question,
1: I think just that I've been able to be compassionate through the work that I've done, and that you know, no matter how small that every day I've um, been able to do something to help move our cause forward.
0: Absolutely, well, uh, that's, a, that's a guarantee you absolutely have because I know multiple rooms full of people have learned more about the cause and, and and gotten on board because of the you know messages that you've put out into the world. So thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you for talking to us today. Um, LDamanitoba.org is the website. Uh, is there anything else you'd like people to know about um, LDAM or, or your work moving forward?
1: No, I just want to thank you for taking the time to um, to allow us to talk about it because it's very important to me and very dear to my heart. So thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. Karen Velthaus, the Executive Director of Learning Disabilities Association of Manitoba. Thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you again to Karen and thank you for listening. Uh, learning disabilities are such an important thing to talk about because it's something that's so common and uh, we really need to raise awareness and education surrounding it. So thanks again to Karen and all the work that uh, she does in this area. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode or you know someone who might benefit from hearing it or learning a little bit more about um, LDAM, about Learning Disabilities Association of Manitoba, send them the podcast, send them a link. It's really helpful for us. And thank you for everyone who has shared the podcast with friends and family. Thank you for subscribing. I really appreciate that. Uh, If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. It can... Deliver the podcast right to your phone every week or right to your computer, which is a great way to do it. And uh, yeah, so thanks so far for everyone who has done it. All music on the show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can find more of his original music at trentonburton.com. The Cause and Effect is a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation. To learn more about the foundation, visit our website at wpgfdn.org. Or if you want to follow us on any social media accounts, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, search at WPGFDN on all social media. You can find me at Nolan Bicknell on all social media accounts. And remember, once you stop learning, you start dying. Bye-bye.